Amen. Let's look in uh, John chapter 9, John chapter 9, and we're going to begin reading in verse 1. We'll share a message entitled, A Work That Is Profitable, out of uh, John chapter 9, and uh, verse 1 says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And said unto him, Go wash in the pool Shalom, which, by, being, uh, by, which is by interpretation sent. And he went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him, that he was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. But he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, How were thine eyes opened? And he answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay, anointed mine eyes, and said unto me, Go to, and, uh, to the pool of Shalom and wash. And I went and washed, and I received sight. Then said they unto him, Where is he? And he said, I know not. Let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing us to be together this evening, what an amazing passage of scripture as we read of Jesus healing this man who was blind. We're thankful, Lord, for the healing power of God, thankful for the good work it is as Christ gives us eternal life, as Christ strengthens us for each and every day, the tasks that are laid before us. And God, we're thankful that you're a God that extends grace when it seems we have nowhere to turn, Lord, or no way of escape. God, your grace is always there. I pray, Lord, we might learn just some simple truths here tonight uh, about the work of God and the ministry that we enjoy together. And Lord, as a, look at it as a profitable opportunity that you give us to bring glory to the name of the Father in heaven. And so, Lord, speak to us in a special way tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 4 is our text verse. Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. Amazing passage because of the fact that Jesus he gives this blind man uh, sight. Uh, his response was his, uh, the disciples were questioning him in reference to who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was blind. And uh, Jesus is very clear here, it wasn't the sin of the parents nor the sin of the man that caused him to be blind, but rather that it, the Father in heaven might be glorified. And sometimes uh, we just have to deal with issues in life and, and uh, heartaches in life, realizing that there is something that's miraculous and true that God wants to do in us and through us where he might receive the glory. And so a work that is profitable. It is a privilege to be able to be uh, a part of the church of Jesus Christ. It is a privilege to be able to be a part of a ministry that God opens the doors for us to fulfill. And I often think about work. I've 
oftentimes I have people say that I'm a workaholic. I don't know if that's true or not. And, uh, but I do like to work, amen. And it's all I've ever done all my life is work. And uh, I think when we get in the ministry, we need to be aware of the fact that it is a good work that God has provided, a good opportunity for us to be able to bring others to Christ and be able to be used in a mighty way to glorify the Father in heaven. Uh, it's a good work. Why is it a good work? Because it produces life. In Proverbs chapter 10, in uh, verse 16, it says, The labor of the righteous tendeth to life, and the fruit of the wicked to sin. And uh, when we talk about living our Christian life, sometimes it's a, it's a, it's a challenge to be a Christian and live the, work, uh, the Christian life. When we talk about ministry, it is difficult at times, and we have to put forth honest effort to work hard, but it does produce life. Uh, sometimes we say, well, I just don't feel like going out soul winning. I don't feel as though it's profitable to go soul winning, but yet then you go soul winning and you lead someone to Christ and you produce life in them. Uh, you're in the church, and you say, well, I don't know if I want to do it, work in Awana, or I don't know if I want to do discipleship, and it's a lot of work, and a lot of burden, a lot of a responsibility, and I just don't see any fruit, and then all of a sudden, you see somebody growing in the Lord, and they go off to Bible college, and then they're out in ministry, and you see the fruit of your labor, because it produced life, and uh, I was going through some things, uh, I don't know, probably a few weeks ago. There's a lot of people from our church that are in full-time ministry. And it's an amazing thought of all those that are out there. I, we, next year, we have our 40th anniversary of our church coming up. And we have Dr. Shoemaker coming. And uh, it's just some things I want to do in letting, redefining and making it clear to people uh, who we have from our church that's out in the ministry. And they're producing life in others. But it takes work. And it's a good work, and Jesus said, I must work and while it is light, because there's going to be a time coming when you can no longer work. And so you do what you can when the opportunity avails you. And uh, the old farmers used to say, you make hay when the sun is shining, amen? And so, <laughs> that's, that's true, that's what he said, huh? I don't know if I ever told you that. And make, you make hay when the sun is shining, and when it's raining, you can't bale hay. And uh, listen, when the night comes, you can't do the work of the Lord. And uh, when someone's life passes and they're longer here, you can't bring life to them. And so you have to seize the opportunity when God gives it to you. And so it produces life. But it also, uh, you have to work to secure true gain. Proverbs chapter 13 in verse 11 says, Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished. But he that gathereth by labor shall increase. And, uh, you know, you have to work for things that you have in life. And I, I think our young people need to learn that. I think they need to be taught that. They need to be given the opportunity to work hard and not just given things. And uh, I, was, I was listening to some news clips the other day uh, in reference to all these uh, young people that are all and so enthusiastic about communism and socialism and all this and and uh, just uh, well, just going on and on. They were interviewing some people, and this one guy said this, and I thought it was interesting. This guy came from a communist country, and they were interviewing him, and he said this. He said, I just, I just think they're spoiled little brats. <laughs> I was like, wow. He said, everything's been given to them. And they, he said, they, they don't know what it is to live with nothing and not allowed to be anything. 
And I just thought it was an interesting interview that he offered up. And uh, our young people have lost perspective that if you want to get ahead in life, you want to have something in life, you got to work for it. Now, people don't just hand it out to you just because of who you are. But you, know, you want to secure real gain, true gain, then you work hard for it. But so work produces life. It secures true gain. And work reveals your, my faith. In James chapter 2, in uh, verse 14, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? And James is basically saying this, your work is what reveals what you believe. You know, people say, well, I'm a Christian. I believe the church is built upon Jesus Christ, and I believe the church is there to minister, and I believe, they say they believe all these things, but where's the work involved in that ministry? And so when I work for God, it reveals that I have faith in God. When I live my life for Christ, it shows evidences to the fact that I am a child of God. So work is necessary, and work is profitable. Because work will give you, bring life, it will give gain, and it will uh, increase your faith and be a witness to the faith that you have. So it work that is profitable. So first of all, I want to think of this. As far as labor, thinking of the word labor as a noun, your identification, you know, you, you're to provide for your home. And uh, sometimes I think we forget about that in, in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 1, if I can get over to Ecclesiastes, I'll be all right. And Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 8, Ecclesiastes 1 verse 8, says, All things are full of labor, man cannot utter, utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The thing that has been, it is that which shall be, and that which has done is that which shall be done, there is no new thing under the sun. Uh, being willing to provide and work to survive and to provide for your family. And uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8, Paul says, If a man provides not for, his, uh, not for his own household, he's worse than an infidel. And so labor, working hard, you're, you need to be identified as someone who is a hard worker uh, because you know that work is profitable. It's a means by which you can provide for your home. But it's also being willing to be productive for the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Paul says, Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? He says, For your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And so it is profitable. And uh, I, I, I just know this, and oftentimes the longer that we're saved and the more you're involved in ministry and Sometimes you can take and look at your life and say, well, I just don't think it's being profitable. There is no increase. There is no change. And yet God is saying, well, wait a minute. You, you don't give the increase. I give the increase. You're supposed to enjoy and be identified with uh, the, the call of God in your life and live that life for the glory of God. And God will bless you and enable you to be productive. Paul said, you just need to be steadfast. You need to be unmovable. You need to be secure in the opportunity that God gives for you to be a part of the work of God. So it's productive for the Lord. But it also portrays a spirit of love when you think about this matter of working or laboring for the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul says, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love, 
and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. And so uh, we are demonstrating a spirit of love when you invest your time, your efforts, your money, and everything else in reaching out and ministering to someone else. And so we're identified by our ability to labor or our ability to work for God. And it's a profitable opportunity that God gives us. So uh, labor or the work is uh, identified as a noun, used as a noun in, in the scriptures. It's also, when you talk about work, it's identified, used as a verb. And that would be your action. And wherever the scriptures deal with uh, um, the work or the labor as a verb, it always denotes some type of an action that is going on. And uh, God wants us to be actively involved, not just being known for laborers in Christ, but he wants us to be actively moving ahead in our commitments to him. And so it's a joint effort. When you talk about the labor of God, you talk about the work of God. Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me. He, was in, he is connected jointly with his Father in heaven. He wasn't doing his own thing. He was doing what his Father desired for, desired for him to do. In Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 21, Nehemiah said, So we labored in the work, and half of them held the spears from the rising of the morning till the stars appeared. And likewise, at the same time, said I unto the people, let every one with his servant lodge within Jerusalem, that in, uh, that in the uh, night they may be a guard to us and labor on the day. And so it was a joint effort in building the wall around Jerusalem under the leadership of Nehemiah. And I, I, we, we're not an island unto ourselves. We don't just kind of do our own thing, but rather we're co-laborers together with Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9, Paul says, For we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. And so uh, work that is profitable is experienced when we know that, wait a minute, we are a part of the body of Christ. We are the church of Jesus Christ, and God has so placed us in this church for that express purpose to be able to enjoy our labors, our working for God and exalting the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a joint effort. When it's a joint effort, not one person gets glorified over another. When it's a joint effort, there is no jealousy or envy. When it's a joint effort, we understand that everybody needs to be committed to doing the work, not committed into a scene asylum, but committed to the work, amen, and uh, committed to the work so that we might be able to accomplish the will of God. And the disciples needed to learn what Jesus was about when he gave this blind man sight. He was jointly committed to the work of the Father in heaven that this man might receive sight. Why? Because Christ was the light that came into the world. And the efforts of the disciples were to pattern themselves after what Christ was doing in his earthly ministry. So it's a joint effort. When we think about uh, labor as an action, as a verb, we think about it honored effort in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 in uh, verse 12 and 13. Uh, the amazing thing is I've just seen over the years where people think it's a demeaning to be in full-time ministry or commit ourselves to the work of God 
and uh, because other things are more significant and more important, but, but the reality is it's an honorable effort to labor for the Lord. And Jesus was trying to get that across to his disciples. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, notice there's, he personally Paul is dealing with being personally involved. And you say, well, you're talking to the Sunday night crowd, the Sunday night crowd that is here on uh, Mother's Day evening. And uh, yes, you're the core group. And so if the core group isn't personally involved uh, and there's lacking areas in ministry because of uh, maybe someone not being committed uh, to the ministry, uh, then yes, we got a problem. So we have to address the honorable thing of being involved personally in the work that God has laid before us. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.12, when we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, which are over you in the Lord, and admonish you. And so those that labor, I think we ought to uh, uh, um, rejoice with those who rejoice. That's what the Bible says. I believe we're all to weep with those who weep. I think uh, the workman is worthy of his labor. I think we ought to acknowledge different people in the church when they're doing different types of ministries. Why? Because they are personally involved. They're personally committed. And Paul says uh, to know them that labor among you. And then he, they're authoritatively recognized in verse 12. He says, which are over you in the Lord. And so the call of God on a person's life to do ministry establishes that authority for him to do that ministry within the body of Christ. Years ago, I was out soul winning. And as I was out soul winning, a fellow asked me, he said, Asked me, why, why, who gives you the authority to come out here and knock on my door? And I told him, I said, well, Jesus Christ does. I get my authority from God. I don't get it from man. And so it's an authoritative uh, response. And when you're involved in ministry, you're doing it uh, under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not doing it underneath the authority of man. Yes, God establishes leadership in the church and in our homes, and there's always a leadership that is established, but ultimately we're under the Lord. We surrender to Christ, and we have that authority from Christ. There is a deliberate, uh, deliberately corrected he says, that admonish you. Sometimes you got to be admonished. I'm glad when I, sometimes I have to be corrected. And I'll, um, I'll, um, <laughs> I told my wife, my dad always used to say, uh, uh, what did he say? I forget what it was. <laughs> he said, um, oh, he used to say, I might not know everything, but what I don't know ain't worth knowing. Amen. <laughs> Sometimes we think, well, I don't need to be corrected. I always have everything uh, straight and I always have everything right. That's not true. Every one of us have to be corrected. And none of us are perfect. And, and yes, God brings people in our life, in the labor and the work of the ministry to correct us so that we might be able to do a better job for the glory of God. So the delivery corrected, respectfully committed in verse 13, it says, and to esteem them very highly in love for the work's sake. See, we love each other because of the work of God. Uh, you know, sometimes we're not too lovely. We're just not. And, uh, but we love one another because God has given us the privilege of laboring together. And listen, you can't accomplish anything if there's conflicts and fighting and disagreements and discord among the brethren. 
But because of love, because of the love of God that's in our hearts, then we respectfully are committed together through love. And then we're humbly united in verse 13 and says, and be at peace among yourselves. And so the walls around Jerusalem could not have been built if it wasn't for the people underneath Nehemiah's leadership uniting together in the labor. Uh, the temple under Ezra would not have been rebuilt if, the temple, if there was not a unity within the men, uh, men and women and the boys and the girls in reference to following the leadership of Ezra to rebuild the temple. And so they were humbly united. And so not only was it a joint effort, an honored effort, but it was a spiritual effort. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, in uh, verse 17, a spiritual effort. Everything we do, I'm going to say this, everything that we do is for the Lord. For a Christian, everything is spiritual. And uh, I've had people over the years say, well, you know, I have to understand, we have to separate the secular from the sacred. No, as a Christian, everything is sacred. Whether we're in church or whether we're in our home, whether we're on our job, whether we're in our community, where we live, uh, everything that we do and everything that we experience is based upon the fact that we are spiritual entities. We are walking with Christ in everything we do and make decisions on all to bring glory to the Father in heaven. Jesus' work was a good work. It was a profitable work because it glorified his Father in heaven. In 1 Timothy 5, 17, says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. And so it's amazing to see this action that takes place in a work that is profitable. And uh, I like uh, dealing with issues in our society and bringing them into the messages, but I'm not a politician. I'm a preacher. That's all I am. And uh, I have to stay focused on the fact that I have to labor in the Word of God and in doctrine and preaching the Word of God. That's what I need to labor in. I cannot get involved in the things that are in this world because we have a work that is profitable more so than anything that is in this world. So your identification is in reference to labor being used as a noun. But your action is also labor being used as a verb. And Jesus said, I must do the works of my Father in heaven. I must work while it's day, for the night cometh when no man can work. So there's your identification, there's your action. Then there is your continuation. In other words, you stay in there. You, you keep laboring for the Lord uh, because you're motivated by love. In Galatians chapter 5, in verse 6, it says this, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Ye did run well, who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Paul's confused by the Galatians believers and their response and uh, being called up and being tripped up and, in, and captured by false doctrine. He said, well, wait a minute. You, it, it's not circumcision. It's not uncircumcision. It's, it's by faith that's based on the work of love. And so we continue on because God loves us and God blesses us and he enables us to benefit by doing a work that is profitable. And so it's motivated by love. It's directed by God's will. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11 says, In whom also we obtain an inheritance, 
being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will. And so when we think about a work that is profitable, what Christ was doing, he was fulfilling the will of the Father in heaven. And what we do when we labor together, we're doing it based on the will of God in heaven. And so it's a good work that is a profitable work. Then uh, we see it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, it says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. See, it's a work that is profitable because it's motivated by love. It is fulfilled in accordance with God's will, and it's empowered by his Holy Spirit. So it takes the pressure off of us because it's not about us. It's about the God who loves us and has called us and enables us to minister to others. And then it's strengthened, according to James chapter 1, in verse 3 through 6, it's strengthened uh, by the trials that we go through. And James tells us in James chapter 1 and verse 3, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. The trials of our faith in, builds endurance in us, just like the athlete has to, has to practice and practice and practice and work out and build up his strength that he might be able to endure and go farther and do more in his athletic uh, endeavors. The Christian is strengthened and built up for endurance through the trials that we go through. He says, but let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who give, that giveth all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like the wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. And so we, it's a continuation of doing the work of God based on the fact that God has willed, God has established, God has empowered, and for every trial and difficulty we go through, it is God building up our endurance to continue on for his glory. And Jesus Christ said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. A.J. Gordon had this uh, quote and this statement. I didn't put it on there. It's simple. You can, you'll remember this easy enough. And uh, about endurance and about working and laboring for the Lord and being patient to wait for when God will give the increase. He said this, uh, it was seven years, and several people, seven years, it says, before Carey, William Carey, baptized his first convert in India. Seven years in India before he ever baptized his first convert. But yet, they, they say the average of a stay of a youth pastor at a church is two and a half years. Uh, the average of pastor stays at a church less than five years. The average Christian may be from the time they get saved, they get baptized, they join the church, they get involved in the church, usually about seven years and they're out of the church. And, and yet, I think we give up on the work of God, we turn our back on the work of the Lord before God is even ready to do something because of the difficulties and the situations we have to overcome and have to deal with. It's seven years. It was seven years before Adirond Johnson won his first disciple 
in Burma, over seven years. He goes on to say, it was seven years that Morrison toiled before the first Chinaman was brought to Christ. When Morris was asked shortly after his arrival in China if he expected to have any spiritual impact on Chinese, he answered, no, sir, but I expect God will. And it took over seven years for him to get his first convert before he got his first disciple, but it wasn't about the time, it was about the God who was going to work in his timing. He said it was over seven years, declares Moffat, that he waited to see the first evident moving of the Holy Spirit upon his uh, 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 beckons of Africa. Uh, before Henry Richards wrought his first convert at Benza Mantica was more than seven years. What am I saying? I'm just saying this. I wanted to encourage you tonight. The work of God is a profitable work. The work of God in your life is a profitable work. And sometimes it just takes time for you to grow and for you to be strengthened to be able to accomplish the work of God. There may be somebody that you're praying for. I was talking to someone this morning. They asked me to be praying for their husband. I said, I'll pray for him because he's not saved. And, uh, and she made this statement. She said, you know, and he's really struggling with a lot of issues that he's had to deal with in his life. And I just really am praying that he'll get saved. And I told her, I said, you just need to keep working at prayer and God can save his soul. And I'll be praying with you about that because your husband needs to be saved. He needs to see you continuing in your life work for Christ and, uh, and it'll impact his life. And sometimes we're ready to give up before the Lord's ready to do something. And you just got to stay in there and you got to hang in there because it's a work that is profitable. Jesus understood that he had to work the work that his father had sent him to do. And he understood that he had to do it while he had the opportunity. You understand Jesus' earthly ministry was only for three years. And for only three years, he had the opportunity to work the will of the father on this earth and uh, um, through his earthly ministry. Uh, how many years do you have? See, sometimes we think we always have all kinds of years to be able to go on and be able to do something. No, we need to work the work of God while we have the opportunity. Don't sell yourself short or don't sell God short with the reality that, wait a minute, uh, God wants to and he will do a good work and will just stay faithful and stay in it because it's a good work, a work that is profitable. I think of one of the great works that we have in church is prayer. I don't think there's a, a, a more um, life-changing, more difficult uh, discipline in the life of the believer than praying. And I mean praying fervently and faithfully and pouring out our hearts before God that God would do something miraculous. This, this blind man, they were all flabbergasted. They couldn't believe that he was seeing. They thought it was a gimmick. They thought that there was uh, something else that was wrong. The disciples thought he had sinned and all these different things that were going on. And just simply, Jesus said he just, he was blind so that the work of God would be revealed. 
that the Father in heaven would be glorified. And so I just think we ought to pray and we ought to seek the Lord and we ought to be committed to praying and continue to pray until answers come. We need to be continue to be involved in soul winning, witnessing, teaching, ministering to others, counseling the people, encouraging one another, uh, being there to support and help one another. I just, it's, it, I, I understand Sometimes it becomes a burden. I understand sometimes it becomes so oppressive sometimes, but wait a minute. God is still on the throne. He is still in control, and the work of God is still a profitable uh, ministry to be a part of, and God wants to do something special in your life and in my life. Now, as we close the message, I want to take some time to pray tonight, and I want us to pray for little Elliot, and I believe we ought to take, as a church congregation, uh, make an honest effort, a working effort, working in prayer to pray for him. You can put that picture up of Elliot. And we want to pray for him and pray that God will do a work in his body, that God will bring healing in his body. As Jesus gave this blind man sight, he can give strength and healing and remove this fever and everything else that's going on in little Elliot's body. But I believe we need to labor in prayer, labor in prayer, crying out to God and talking to God that God would do something miraculous. And I would like just take a few moments now and for all of us to go to the Lord in prayer. If you'd like to come up here and kneel on the altar, that'd be wonderful. If you want to pray in your pew, your seat, you can. If you want to kneel on your knees, you can do that. If you want to sit there, you can do that. But let's go to God in prayer and thank the Lord for the work that he gives us. Thank the Lord for the profitable experiences that we can have and, and being able to do ministry uh, with others, with each other and with others and for others. And let's thank the Lord tonight as we pray and for Elliot, that we praise God for his healing strength and his healing power that can work on his behalf. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer and I'll close in a few moments. My Father, we come to you, Lord, tonight, uh, praying for Elliot, Lord, that you would touch his body and just bring miraculously and complete healing. Uh, Lord, we pray in faith, believing that all things are possible unto him that believeth. And uh, Lord, we're thankful uh, that you show us over and over again in the scriptures of those that you touched and you healed. This blind man, Lord, you healed him that you might be glorified. And we pray for healing that will bring glory to our Father in heaven. Lord, we pray for Nick. We pray for Laura that you would encourage them, Lord, and draw near to them. Uh, Lord, fill them with thy spirit and enable them to experience the peace of God that passes all understanding. Lord, we hope, our hope is to our God. And Lord, we come to you tonight thanking you, Lord, for the wonderful privilege of being able uh, to work the work of God, a work that is profitable, a work that changes things, 
a work that changes people's lives, a work that releases the power of God to work miracles. And God, we come to you in faith believing that tonight. Uh, Lord, how we desperately need healings, how we desperately need grace, how we need salvation, Lord, uh, how we need just uh, an anointing that comes from heaven, Lord. Will you open up the windows of heaven and shower a blessing down upon us? God, we praise you for this day. It's been a wonderful day in the house of God, uh, worshiping and praising our Lord, pursuing our God in prayer. And Lord, now we leave desiring the blessing on the Lord upon us as we're dismissed. God, I pray that you've been pleased with everything on our heart today. I pray, Lord, that you've been pleased with everything that we've tried to offer in worship and praise of you this day. And God, we give you glory. We rest in the assurance uh, that your will is in front of us. Your way is perfect, Lord. And Lord, we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.